super enthusiastic. Grab this. How's everyone doing this morning? Excellent, excellent. I'm tired, but good. Last night we had a uh, little get-together with Kairos, a little Christmas party slash game night. And it went well. went long, but that's okay. <laughs> Found out a lot of things about, you know, some of the people that, that go to Kairos and stuff and involved in our young adult ministry. Like... Jefferson can really sing. He's really good. <laughs> I mean, he's a really good singer. But anyway, uh, but also, you know, you know, it's a good time. Some people are a little bit more competitive than I thought they were when we were playing games. You know, like I am pretty competitive as it is. But, you know, I'm not going to say who it is, Deborah. But um, <laughs> uh, no, no, I'm just joking. But no, it was, it was a great time. We had a great time last night. And it was, uh, but I'm tired now. And, but I'm old. I just realized I'm old, you know, and I'm like hanging out with these young whippersnappers, right? No, as the old people would say. But anyway, <clears throat> let's pray real quick. Let's pray. Dear Lord, we just come before you. We give you praise and honor. We thank you for how good you are, Lord God. Uh, we thank you for today. We thank you for loving us, Lord, and coming down and, and um, dying on the cross for our sins. It's because of you, Lord, that we, we're here today. And it's only because of you, Lord God. So, Lord, we just give you praise and honor this morning. Uh, and ask that you be here in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right. So, we've been reading the, uh, the book of uh, Thessalonians. First, the, first Thessalonians. You know, oh, goodness, I'm having trouble talking, but that's okay. But, uh, <clears throat> so now the church of uh, uh, Thessalonians. The Thessalonian church, right? <laughs> Why am I having problems talking? You know, I'm like, it sounds so good in my head, right? And then when I go to speak it, it's not working. I don't know what it is. But it was a, it was a truly exemplary church. You know, this, the letter to, uh, the first letter to the Thessalonians, uh, see, uh, is one of, uh, of a few letters um, not written to address some doctrinal error. Uh, or, or wrong behavior in a, new, in a New Testament church. Now, the first, first Corinthians, you know, was written to, to, to set the Corinthian church right on several sins and doctrinal fa uh, fallacies that, that, that had arisen in the Corinthian church. Now, these included su uh, such as division uh, over their leaders, uh, the open Im immorality of their members, um, members going to court against one another, you know, the abuse of, of spiritual gifts. Uh, the abuse of the Lord's table and, and false teaching on the doctrine of the, of the resurrection. You know, he wrote all about these things in, in 1 Corinthians. And, and when Paul wrote to the Galatians, to, he, he wrote them to correct uh, doctrinal error, error mixing faith and works. Right? In the, in, in the Colossians, you know, was written uh, to combat falsely, uh, a false philosophy called Gnosticism, you know, that crept into the church. And, and a subject also addressed by, by John in his three epistles. You know, but First Thessalonians was not written to deal with any known doctrinal error or wrong, wrong conduct uh, on the part of, of the Thessalonians. And so in, in, in verse 7 of First Thessalonians 1, it says, you know, 
And so you became, you became a model to all the believers in Macedonian and Achaia. Right? They became a model. Now, there are essentially two basic types of churches, right? The church nobody ever wants to hear about or, you know, no one hears about except in a bad way. You know, there's a, or no one really cares about or really wants to go to. The second kind of church is the one that people have heard about in a good way, right? Which made, they made a positive impression. And the lost, excuse me, the lost are curious about, about visiting and dedicated, you know, zealous believers want to be a part of. That's the second kind of church, basically, you know, ones that people want to go to, ones that people don't want to go to. And uh, that's the kind of church that uh, uh, the Thessalonians had. That's, a, that's the kind of church it was. That's the kind of church I want living word to be. One that people want to go to, right? That's what we want. You know, the message I want to get home today is, is basically, you know, authentic Christian faith is contagious. It's contagious. God wants us to be um, or become contagious believers. That's what he wants from us. You know, remember when we were kids and we were talking about this this, this week uh, at, the, at the dinner table at some point, I think. Yeah, or some other time. But uh, when your mom tells you that, you know, you're going to catch cold, you can't, you don't go outside without your, your coat and, or anything like that. Or, you know, you'll catch cold because you're in the winter and blah, blah, blah. You know, you got to have your hats on. You have to, it's too cold outside. You can't, you can't go outside without it. Or you can't get wet because you'll catch a cold, right? And the truth is germs, not cold weather, causes colds, right? Germs, not cold weather. You know, the reason we catch more colds in the winter is because we're all inside and we're like huddled together and, you know, you're passing germs back and forth. So, yeah, so we were indoors more, you know, in close, closer quarters, you know, and, you know, you don't get, you really don't get sick from cold weather. You get sick from germs or other people, you know, who sneeze and cough in their hands or whatever, and then they shake your hand and, you know, we know the deal. You know, that's why, you know, you know, there's so many, uh, there's, Hand sanitizer everywhere, <laughs> you know, and that was even before COVID. There's hand sanitizer everywhere. Now it's like, it's ridiculous. You know, you see hand sanitizer, it's like, it's, it's crazy. But germs are contagious, right? Germs are the, the, the agents that transmit colds and viruses. Now, why do I bring this up? You know, last week I was talking after the service, I was talking to Scott about um, the men's ministry and he made, a, I can't remember exactly what he said, but he was talking about Daniel and Daniel made a comment about um, how we need to be more excited or about, uh, about Christian, like being Christians and, you know, and spreading, spreading the faith and, and, and talking to people about Jesus. And, uh, and that's been, I've been sitting on that like all week, you know, but I was thinking like, what would attract more people to our church? What would attract people to our church? You know, is it friendly people? You know, we can be friendly. We can be, you know, happy-go-lucky, I guess. You know, uh, an awesome, exciting worship experience. Is that what attracts people? Or maybe it's having dynamic kids ministry or youth ministry. At the end of the day, you know, we have to realize that it's not program or personality or even preaching that will attract people. Although a few may come because of those things. You know, we also need to, to, to get our priorities straight. 
Now, if we all want to do, if all we want to do is attract people to our building, you know, we can just have, let's build the, the biggest, best building, you know, that money can buy. You know, we can do that. Oh, we probably can't do that. But, <laughs> but, but you, know, we, you know, you can do that. You can just take all your money and just spend it towards these things, you know. And, uh, but the bottom line is we don't want people to fill our building. I mean, like, we want, we want them to be attracted to Christ. That's what we want. You know, now, is, this, is there a secret to attracting people to Christ? To Jesus, is there a secret to that? You know, what comes to your mind when you when you hear the word evangelism? Somebody, what comes to your mind? What talking to people about Jesus, right? You know, or even like what, what comes to your mind if you think about an evangelist, right? Many people think of like, you know, some guy doing some slick hair guy on TV or something like that, you know, spreading the gospel. Uh, or you might, you might think of a, a soul winner like Billy Graham, right? Billy Graham. You know, whichever your perception is, it's wrong, right? Because we don't need, we, we need to understand that, that to reach people for Christ, we don't have to become something odd or become something that we are not, right? We don't have to do that. Nor do we have to become something that's, that's great or, that, or that's unreachable. You know, Billy Graham was like, you know, he talked to a lot of people about Jesus. He was like, he's a big, he was a big deal. But evangelism is telling people that they matter to the Father. That's what it is. Telling people that they matter, they matter to the Father. The love of Christ is so at work that, that, that it's contagious. It's, it's contagious in us. You know, do you know what, you know, what's great about this? You know, we can be ourselves. We can be ourselves. God knew what he was doing when he made us. You know, he gave us the exact personality he wanted you to have. You know, he wants you to use it to impact those around you. That's what he wants. He wants us to, he wants us to use it. The personality that he gave you the life that he gave you to impact the people around you. One of the major uh, uh, purposes as, as Christ followers is to infect others with the love of God that we have in our hearts and our lives. He wants us to affect others. We wanna, he wants us to influence them in positive ways that will make them want to know Christ. You know, it's been said that a, a church that is considered uh, effective evangelistically, if, it, if just one person in 20 in that church leads someone, to, uh, uh, leads someone to Christ in a year, in a year, one person, one person in 20. This would mean that a church of 100 people would see, uh, you know, five people come to Christ in their ministry in one year if they were evangelistically effective. You know, based on this theory, you know, only 3.5% of, of churches in the U.S. are evangelistically effective. 3.5%. That's crazy, right? What makes a church contagious? What makes them evangelistically effective? What makes a church one of the 
three and a three point five percent or three and a half out of a hundred, right? It's three and a half, like a half a church, right? Yeah, it's crazy. But you know, the apostle Paul wrote in his letter, wrote a letter to a small church, a small congregation in an ancient Greek city um, that was making worldwide impact for Jesus Christ. They're making a worldwide impact. If there was ever a contagious congregation, it was that little church in, in Thessalonica. Ah, I said it right that time, right? Yeah, thank you, pat on the back. No. <laughs> yeah, it, it's that little church in Thessalonica. No, I can't even say it, right? Mmm, <laughs> pride, right? <laughs> if, that, if there were ever any contagious believers, it was them. It was them. Their love for Jesus was contagious, infectious, so much so that they uh, were known throughout the Roman Empire. In every place, said Paul, their faith in God had gone before them so that Paul had no need to tell anyone about them. Everybody already knew who they were. No Facebook, no Internet, no Instagram. And for you, you know, more seasoned, you know, crowd. No Christian yellow pages or anything like that. You know, they were contagious believers, contagious believers. They caught the love of Jesus and then urgently, infectiously, infectiously, sorry, offered it to anyone who was willing to consider it. That's what they did. The, the, Thess the Thessalonian church you know, teaches uh, us three things about being contagious believers. First, contagious believers are infected by Jesus. They're infected by Jesus, right? You know, second, contagious believers are infectious for Jesus. And thirdly, contagious believers are incurably devoted to Jesus. So let's read together. All right, why don't you turn with me to, to First, Thess First Thessalonians we're going to read that, okay? So Paul, Silas, and Timothy, to the church of the, Thess of the Thessalonians, in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, grace and peace to you. We always, we always thank God for all of you and continually mention you in our prayers. We remember before our God and Father your work produced by faith, your labor prompted by love, and your endurance inspired by hope in, the, in our Lord Jesus Christ. For we know, brothers and sisters, loved by God, that he has chosen you because our, because our gospel came to you not simply with words, but also with power, with the Holy Spirit and deep conviction. You know how we lived among you for your sake. You became imitators of us and of the Lord. For you welcomed the message in the midst of severe suffering with the joy given by the Holy Spirit. And so you became a model to all the believers in Macedonia and Achaia. The Lord's message rang out from you. Not only in Macedonia and Achaia, your faith in God has become, more, has become known elsewhere. Therefore, we do not need to say anything about it. For they themselves report what kind of reception you gave us. They tell how you turn to God from idols and serve the living and true God. And we wait for his son from heaven, from <clears throat> whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, who rescues us from the coming wrath. 
Amen. So first, we learn that contagious believers are affected by Jesus, right? The Apostle Paul describes the Christian believers in Thessalonica as chosen in verse 4. You know, the New King James Version, you know, translate the, translates the same word as election. You know, it was told, that, I was told that there's like two schools of theology, right? That one school is the Calvinist school. You know, this taught, you know, that God has pre, preordained uh, all who will ever be saved. You know, salvation is all God, you know, and nothing of man, right? And the second school is the Armenian school. This teaches that salvation is, is man responding to God, you know, with his free will. The emphasis is on, you know, man's choice, you know, and, you know, people ask me, you know, you know, what are you, right? What are you? Are you Calvinist? Are you Armenian? Whatever, you know, I'm like, yeah, <laughs> right? I'm like Calvinian, I guess. I don't know. Uh, and, you know, the truth is theologians will, you know, have been debating this for ever, it seems like. And, you know, they've been doing that for hundreds of years and they will continue to do that, you know, until Jesus returns, most likely. You know, but Paul's not concerned with debating all the implica impl implications of how or, or when God chooses, right? His purpose is to remind the believers that God has chosen them. God has chosen him. According to the, you know, you know, there's, there are commentaries that uh, the Old Testament provides a framework for understanding the concept of divine election, right? You know, God chose Abraham, you know, and his descendants in order to make himself known to the rest of mankind. You know, Israel, God's, God's chosen people, was called to enjoy God's favor and to, to, to be light to the nations, revealing God's merciful salvation to the world, right? You know, Paul is declaring to the Thessalonian believers that God, you know, just as God chose Israel, God called each of them as well. And their lives, and their lives confirm their calling uh, to be light to the nations, right? Because of who they were, you know, they became light to the nations. What they did, how they were infectious, you know, the important thing uh, for us to know is, is, is that we're saved. You're saved, right? Do you know that you're a Christian? I mean, do you really know that you're a Christian? Have you been truly born again? You no, know, you might ask, how can I know? How can I know? You know, I prayed with Billy Graham one, at one time, right? Or, or, you know, I fell down in that revival meeting once. What is the evidence to know that I'm truly converted? A lot of people may ask that. You know, to be saved is to understand that salvation begins with God. You know, and Paul reaffirms uh, this in, in, in 2 Thessalonians 2, right? In the, uh, 2 Thessalonians 2.13, it says, But we ought always to thank God for you, brothers and sisters, loved by the Lord, because God chose you as first fruits." To be saved through the sanctifying work of the Spirit and through belief in the truth. He called you to this through our gospel. That you might share the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what he says. 
The point is, the, point is the, the entire plan of salvation was born in the heart of God long before man was created or the universe was formed. Long before that. The cross was not, you know, developed on a whim, right? It wasn't like something, oh, we got to do this now because this didn't work out. It's not like that. God planned your life in the plan for, in, in the plan for your salvation well in advance, right? That's crazy. You understand how God, how much God cares for you? How much he cares for us? You know, that's why we also, we also say that salvation involves God's love. Uh, Alice gave an excellent word on that today. God's love made Calvary possible. It made it possible. I hear people complain about they feel unworthy of God's love, right? Welcome to the club. Welcome to the club. We're all unworthy of God's love. All of us are. It's for that reason that Jesus came to demonstrate the depth of God's love for you, for all of us. He came for that. You know, Romans 5, 8, it says, God, but God demonstrates his own love for, for us in this. While we're still sinners, Christ died for us. But don't be, don't be mistaken, right? It's not God's love that saved you. It's not his love that saved you. It's not God's love that saves us from sin. It's his grace through faith. It's his grace, grace through, through faith. Ephesians uh, 2, 8 through 9, it says, For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not from, our, not from, our, from yourselves. It is a gift from God. Not by works so that no one can boast. No one can boast about it. All of us deserve God's wrath. We all deserve God's wrath. For the wages of sin is death. But out of God's mercy, he doesn't give us what we deserve. He doesn't give us what we deserve. All of us deserve punishment. But he grants us forgiveness and pardon of sin. Right? That's crazy. It says, for the gift of, of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus, our Lord. That's what his word says. This is grace. This is grace. Receiving what we don't deserve. And in the illustrious words of the newsboys, it's a real good thing. It's a real good thing. Right? Also, grace is a gift. A gift of God that we do not earn or do we ever have to pay back? It's crazy stuff. What other evidence is there that we, we have been truly, uh, genuinely saved? You know, it, it is the deep witness and conviction of the Holy Spirit. You know, Romans eight sixteen it says, The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. This is the word. This is the word God's, this is what God's word says, right? Uh, Galatians 4, 6, because you are sons, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, the spirit who calls out, Abba, Father. 1 John three twenty four says, those who obey his commands live in him and he in them. And this is how we know that he lives in us. We know it by the spirit he gave us. 
We know in 1 John 4.13, it says, We know that we live in him and he in us because he has given us his spirit. It's God's word. The spirit lives in us. You can't be saved apart from the Holy Spirit. In fact, Paul makes it clear how, how each member of the, of the Holy Spirit, uh, of the Holy Trinity, is, is involved in our salvation. You know, regarding the, the, the Father, God the Father, it was, I was saved, you know, when he chose me in Christ before the world in time began. It's crazy stuff, right? You know, regarding the Son, you know, God the Son, I was saved when, when he died for me on the cross. All the way back then, right? I was saved. Regarding the Holy Spirit, I was saved when I responded to the preaching of the word. And recognize that I needed my sins forgiven. And asked Jesus to become my, my, my Lord and Savior. I didn't understand it all. I don't understand a lot now, right? <laughs> but I tell you with assurance that I knew, that I knew, that I knew that I was a child of God. That I was saved. I knew it. You know? Not only uh, are, are contagious believers infected by Christ, you know, contagious believers are infected for Christ, for Jesus, right? A contagious believer is infected with Jesus. And the truth is, you know, contagious believers are infectious. We need to be infectious. They have, a, they have an impact on the unbelieving world. So how do contagious believers infect others with, with the love of Jesus? Paul told the, told the Thessalonian Christians that their impact on the world was due to the fact that they became imitators of the Lord. We need to become imitators of Christ. They became more like Christ every day. Contagious believers become like Christ and, and, you know, and that is bound to, to, to impact the world. It's bound to impact the world. If, if Christ lives in us, controlling our, our personalities and, you know, if he's Lord of us and, he, you know, we do what he actually says to, for us to do, we actually do what he says for us to do, right? You know, we can, we can, we can, leave, we can leave, like, amazing, glorious marks uh, on the lives we touch. We can have such an impact on the lives we touch every day. Not because of us but because of him. It's because of him. You know, the Thessalonians made, you know, an incredible mark on the world because Christ lived in them and was their Lord. Billy Graham said one time, you know, our greatest need today is not more Christianity, but tr more true Christians. The world can argue against Christianity as an, as an institution. But there's no convincing argument against a person who, through the, the Spirit of God, has, has been made Christ-like. Can't argue against it. Because we're changed. We're changed. No, contagious believers infect the world with, with God's love because they are becoming more like Jesus. Not only... Um, not only are we becoming more like Jesus, but... but it's because they, they, we become, uh, we, we experience deeper levels of joy because the Holy Spirit 
in our hearts. Now, Paul speaks it with admiration and wonder about the Thessalonian, about the believers there in Thessalonica. You know, it says, in spite of persecution, Paul said, you received the word with joy inspired by the Holy Spirit. Aren't you attracted to joyful people? You know, would you rather be around joyful people or, you know, you know, me? No, I'm kidding. No, I'm joking. <laughs> No, but I mean, people that aren't joyful, I mean, what would you rather be around? You know, Elliot gave an excellent Advent word last week about, uh, you know, about joy. You know, and, and, the, and I saw this quote about this guy, by this guy, uh, Leon Bloy. He says, joy is the, is the most infallible sign of the presence of God. Right? You know, in his book, uh, Joy, this guy, Samuel uh, Gordon, says joy is distinctly a Christian word. This is distinctly a Christian word and, and a Christian thing. You know, it is the reverse of happiness. Happiness is a result of what happens uh, of, of, an agree, of an agreeable sort. You know, joy has its springs deep down inside. And that spring never runs dry, no matter what happens. No matter what happens. Only Jesus gives that joy. Only he can give that joy. People want, uh, you know, people uh, want more than, than, than just happiness. They want joy, and the only place they're going to see it is in contagious believers. And only contagious believers know how others can come to experience it, right? That's through Jesus Christ, you know? You know, we, we're not, we don't fully appreciate the significance of being a contagious believer, we really don't. You know, people notice a difference Christ may, has made in the life of a Christian. They do. And, you know, that makes, that makes such a difference in people. You know, Paul told them, you know, in verse 7, it says, uh, they became an example to all the believers in Macedonia and Achaia. The word the Lord has sounded forth from you. In every place, your faith in God has become known so that we have no need to speak about it. That's an amazing thing to say. It's an amazing thing to say. You know, he said of the, Paul said of the Thessalonians, he said, the, Lord, the Lord's message rang out from you, not only in Macedonia and Achaia, your faith in God has become known everywhere. Everywhere. The Greek word for rang out or sounded out uh, is where we get the, the, the English word echo. It's the English word echo. You know, we echo God's truth as we hear it from him, right? An echo only uh, repeats what's, uh, what's been originally spoken. Get that? It repeats what is, what's been originally spoken. We don't put our own thing in there. We just repeat what's been spoken, right? That's what an echo is. That's what we need to do. God has put his voice in us to echo his love. He's done that. But let's think about it, right? Is this really practical, right? Is it really practical? I mean, how many times have we heard, you know, I will come to church more, but, you know, I'm waiting for my life to get in order. 
How many times have we heard that? Or, you know, I'm having too many problems to be fully committed. I've heard that a lot. When my situation in my life is, is, is right, then I'll get right with God. We hear that too. You want to be real? You know, the Thessalonians knew what real life was all about. They knew it. Of all the churches that were, were mentioned in, you know, by name in the New Testament, there are only two that received commendations from Paul and Jesus with, with little or no criticism. The church in the Philippines, the uh, Philippines, sorry, Philippines, not the Philippines, the Philippians, very different, two, diff, two very different places, right? And, you know, despite great poverty, you know, Paul said that, you know, that they remained faithful, remained true and faithful to God. You know, in the, Thessalon in the Thessalonian church, you know, they had to endure inter intense persecution, you know, for their faith and were con and constantly being bombarded, you know, with, uh, with the temptation of just going along with the world and its godless value system. Sound familiar? Always being tempted to go to do those things of the world. You know, the believers there, you know, they lived in a society that was, that was devoid of any moral compass. Every day, every day, there were overwhelming temptation, temptations to, to compromise their faith and testimony. They were a poor church, right? They were poor people. Many of the believers were slaves, you know, or had lost their livelihood uh, when they became Christians. And on top of that, they had endured intense persecution because of their faith in Jesus. We think we have problems, right? Many of our, many of our problems are, are our picnic, you know, compared to what they had to go through there. You know, He's, Paul says that, you know, that they suffered from uh, uh, they, your own countrymen, the same things that, uh, that those churches suffered. You know, Paul himself was worried, right, that, that the intensity of the persecution would weaken them, you know, weaken or even destroy the faith of this, this small group, this, this new group of, of, of believers. You know, he says that, you know, I was afraid that, that in some way the tempter might, 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 might have tempted you uh, and our efforts it might have been made useless. You know, in fact... You know, Paul sent Timothy, right? He sent Timothy there to gather report on how the church was doing. And Timothy reported, you know, Timothy's report gave Paul relief. You know, in, 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 first, in first Thessalonians 3, uh, he goes, he says, uh, but, but Timothy has just come, now come to us from you and brought us good news about your faith and love. Therefore, dear brothers, in all, our, in all our distress and persecution, we were encouraged about, about you because of your faith. For now, we really live since you are uh, standing firm in the Lord. It's awesome stuff. Now they really live because of their, their standing faith in the, in the Lord. The lie of the devil is that it's easy to be a Christian when life has no problems. 
You know, the truth is, as long as we live, we will face times of difficulty and stress. We'll face it. The Christians there and, and, and you know, Christians there were living under the gun of intense persecution and poverty. You know, in spite of their, pro of their, of their problems, they, per they persevered without compromising their purity, nor holding back their passion for Jesus. We can't hold back. We can't compromise. You know, can that be said of, can that be said, said of us? You know, can the same be said of us? You know, the church in Thessalonica, you know, they're a model of, of a persevering faith for every generation to follow. They persevered. You know, you're, you know that you're a contagious, believer, a contagious Christian, you know, when you let your light shine, when you, you know, uh, where you live, especially when life is difficult. Gotta let it shine even when it's difficult, right? So now the third thing is that they're a contagious Christian, contagious believers are incurably devoted to Jesus, right? You know, we're infected with Jesus. You know, the, the faith, our lives need to be infectious, you know. But, you know, we need to uh, have caught God's love in Jesus Christ, you know, and, and then urgently and infectiously offer it to all those who are willing to consider it, you know. But, you know, we need to rejoice in the fact that, you know, we, we need to be infected with God's love in Jesus Christ. That makes sense? You know, we don't, we don't, you know, we don't need to just desire more of Jesus. We need, okay. We need to desire more of Jesus, right? And we need to see, you know, this lived out in the lives, in our lives, right? We need to see this lived out in our lives. And there's two ways we can do that, right? First, contagious believers entrust Jesus with their today. We need to trust Jesus with our today. You hear me? You know? They did that, and it shows. You know, Paul encouraged those, you know, those believers in, in Thessalonica, you know, with the words, right? He says in verse 9, he says, The people of those regions report how you turn uh, to God from idols to serve a living and true God. They live their lives in service to God. In other words, Jesus was the agenda. He was the agenda. No, we all have an agenda, right? We all have something that we live for and it shows. You know, it shows the way we use our time. It shows the way we, how we spend our money. You know, it shows in a way that we, we, treat, our, we treat families and, and friends and, and, and neighbors and classmates and, and coworkers. It shows in all of that. You know, contagious believers have, have turned from serving themselves and instead are living, uh, you know, lives today in the service of Jesus. We need to live our lives in the service of Jesus. Jesus was their agenda. Jesus needs to be our agenda. You know, they entrusted Jesus with their today. But just as importantly, right, contagious believers 
need to entrust Jesus with their tomorrow. The church in Thessalonica, they trusted Jesus with their tomorrow. In verse 10, Paul says, Paul writes, it's like, you wait for uh, his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, who rescues us from the wrath that is coming. So he was looking to the future. In other words, those contagious Thessalonians were absolutely convinced that the only way to live was through Jesus and equally convinced that the only way to die was in Jesus. The only way to live is through Jesus. The only way to die is in Jesus. They're absolutely convinced that when they died, they would experience the joy of heaven because they had trusted Jesus as their savior. They were convinced of the reality of the gospel. They had been brought into a saving relationship with the father through Jesus Christ. You know, contagious believers do not entrust themselves to with their eternity. <clears throat> they don't do it for, in themselves, right? Because they know that no one can be good enough to enter heaven on his or her own, own. His or her own. We can't do it on our own. That happens only by trusting Jesus and giving him your life. Contagious believers, you know, place their eternity, their eternity in Jesus' hands. Got to place it in his hand. You now, so what does that mean for me? What does that mean for you? You know, Jesus needs contagious uh, uh, congregations that live out his love so that the city of Philadelphia or wherever you live, you know, will be changed by our influence. That the state, that this nation is changed by our influence. But before we can, we can, there can be contagious, you know, congregations. There must be first. There must first be contagious believers, right? It's not something that you that you're automatically. It's something that you become over time. But listen, you know, accepting Jesus as, as Savior is not enough. It's not enough. You know, there are folks that, you know, accepted Jesus, you know, but stop right there. You know. But Jesus wants you to become like him. Jesus wants you to experience deeper levels of joy. Jesus wants people to, to notice the difference he has made in your life. There's a story about a young salesman who, who, who was disappointed about losing a big sale, right? And he talked to his sales manager and he sulked saying, you know, he was like all like down and everything. He was saying, I, I guess it just proves that you, can't lead a, you can lead a horse to water, but you can't make him drink. But the manager replied, son, take my advice. Your job is not to make him drink. Your job is to make them thirsty. That's how it should be for us. Our job isn't to make them drink, it's to make them thirsty, to want Jesus. Our lives need to be so filled with Christ that they, it creates a thirst for the gospel. It creates a thirst for the gospel. 
The truth is the only way for a non-Christian to know what it's like to be a Christian is to see one. They need to see one. The attitudes and actions of each of Jesus' Jesus's followers would, would either draw people towards a relationship with God or push them further away. So Jesus was pleading with his people then and now to live in a way that, that would draw people towards the Father. Excuse me. How we conduct our daily lives has implications that, yeah, that reach all the way into in, all the way into eternity. You may not believe that, but it does. Are you living your life in such a way as to cause people to want to have, you know, to want what you have in Jesus? Is that how you're living? No, if you've never really accepted Jesus into your, as your personal savior, would you do it right now? Don't delay or put it off. If you'd like to receive Christ by faith, pray this simple prayer in your heart. All right, why don't we pray? You know, dear Lord, I acknowledge that I'm a sinner. I believe Jesus died for my sins on the cross and rose again the third day. I repent of my sins. By faith, I received the Lord Jesus as my Savior. You promised to save me, and I believe you because you're a God and you cannot lie. I believe right now that the Lord Jesus is my personal Savior, and that all my sins are forgiven through his precious blood. I thank you, dear Lord, for saving me. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.